the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, as we head into our uh, third hour here, uh, we do so with uh, Congressman John Shattuck. He's usually in studio, but he's on the road today joining us by telephone. Uh, He is the former congressman representing the old 4th Congressional District here in the Phoenix area. Uh, which he did uh, for 16 years, and he is now the uh, the head of uh, Shattuck Associates. Uh, John, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Great to be with you. I, um, I there's a lot to talk about today, and uh, we can get into some uh, philosophy as well. But before we do that, uh, using your experience from the House of Representatives talking about different factions within the party, talking about these fights we have over the debt ceiling, uh, broad picture and uh, broad expectations. Uh, do you think this thing, this uh, debt compromise ultimately passes? Uh, and just whatever thoughts you have, I'd love to hear them. Well, from what I can tell, it looks like it's going to pass. Um, at least I hope it does. Um, I'm not obviously not thrilled with it. Uh, but when you only have one-third, essentially, of the government, it's pretty hard to get what you want. Uh, and in this case, you know, the Democrats have just made it clear that uh, they want no limit on spending. Uh, many of us in the class of 94 were thrilled to be very successful in the early years, and we actually balanced the federal budget, I think, for two years straight, or maybe even a third. And then... Uh, you know, as they say, Washington changed us instead of us changing Washington, mm-hmm. and we went back to the old way. I can remember um, we had cut um, even spending by Congress in our first term, and when we came back from our first reelect, uh, all the old bulls wanted to go back to the old way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to go back to spending because mm-hmm. they had watched the Democrats when the Democrats were chairs of the committees and. They had we cut the committee budgets by one third, and that all sounded good when you wanted the majority and were in the minority. But once you had the majority, it was oh no no wait a minute! Uh, if those guys got to spend, then we ought to get to spend. And right. So the addiction started, and the problem is the American people. Uh, you know they have an appetite for goodies when you offer them to them, and that's uh, that's the fight that goes on perpetually. And whenever there whenever there are uh, negotiation points or bargaining points where one team at least rhetorically is adamantly on one side and the other team uh is in fact uh adamantly in favor of spending then cutting spending becomes difficult one of the interesting things looking at it from within the party the republican uh, internal debate over it or the you know interparty debate intraparty debate about it is every 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 faction of the republican party seems to have problems with this uh, including um, both sides of the defense issue uh, and defense spending. Uh, some Republicans are upset that we're not spending enough. Some are upset that we're actually spending too much. There's, that's, a, that's kind of a newer part of the Republican Party, but it's certainly there. 
Um, but I got to tell you, you know, I'm looking at some of these numbers and I am concerned about our military spending. I'm concerned about China. I'm concerned about our U.S. Navy. The Biden budget actually reduces our Navy when we all thought we kind of needed to increase it by, uh, by you know, something like 80 more ships. We never really got Reagan 600, but China has more Navy than we do. And I mean – Reducing our military abilities is not going to deter China. That's my biggest concern with the budget deal we cut. I think I've made it clear that I'm pretty happy and pretty impressed by McCarthy. I think he has his team uh, pretty well lined up. And I think he did that, or I I think I've said on your show before, that I believe he pulled that off by getting to know them, by, you know, talking to the individual members of the new majority in the House – finding out their concerns and making it clear to them that, number one, he would listen, and number two, uh, where he could, he would deliver for them. And I think uh, that's one of, I think, that listening to them and delivering for them where they where he reasonably can, given the reality of Washington, is a good move on his part. In this case, if I had to express any concern about uh, this deal, it is the lack of defense spending and kind of the Republicans defending that, I worry a lot uh, about that. I think the days when we could assume that China was a backward nation and not a serious threat and years, if not decades, behind us, I think those days are gone. And, and as you It might be out, reversed. We might be years, if not decades, behind them on a few fronts. I, th- I think we are. I think we're definitely uh, behind them. And the question is, how far behind are we? And what what are the consequences? And I think the consequences are uh, pretty well laid out by our founders and by generations ahead of us, which is that if you want peace, you got to be prepared for war, and you got to your opponents have to understand that you are in fact prepared to wipe them out uh, if if you need to. And in this case, our navy is shrinking, our military is shrinking across the board, and those who warn us about it, I think, are right. And in this case. Uh, The question is, how long can we go on hoping that we can uh, spend less than the other team uh, and have them more prepared? uh, And then when uh, push comes to shove, you know, are we going to be able to to say no? For example, if they decide to go after Taiwan, you know, are we going to be in a position where we can say, no, you're not, and and enforce our position? Yeah, and part of it, has to be understood in the context of who the president of the United States is. If you're looking at a President Joe Biden with a reduced military, that's different than looking at, you know, a stronger president like a Reagan or a Trump and a reduced military, because uh, you know that their intentions are a lot different than that which Joe Biden has exhibited thus far. It's a show of weakness versus a show of seriousness with less. And I, I, I don't know, man, John, I... They often will tell the the consultant class will often say people don't really vote on national defense that much. Uh, They don't really vote on foreign policy. I I don't think that was true in 1980 when the threat was clearly understood. And I think that's the problem is the threat isn't clearly understood. But there's a big threat out there. I think there's a huge threat out there. I think we would like to ignore it because – we would like to spend less. We can see Europe spending less, not fulfilling its commitment. One of the things that Trump did that was absolutely right was say that uh, for Europe not to meet its commitment was flat out unacceptable. 
And you look at Xi Jinping, and he's not a guy that you should underestimate, nor is he a nice guy. He's not a guy that's going to uh, say, well, we'll just be reasonable. We all want world peace. Wrong. His, his math is very clear. He wants world domination. And, and if he thinks the moment has come, uh, he's going to try for it. The other thing is the credibility issue. Yeah. Uh, it is unfortunate that, uh, at, 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 for a moment, you said uh, we, um, Biden hasn't exhibited strength. Right. A part of that, anytime somebody says it is, well, who is Biden? Yeah. Because you know, Biden on environmental protection uh, uh, two years ago was, you know, to the wall for the environmentalists, no matter what the damage. Right. Uh, and, and it's a different, you know, he lets one woke crowd can, uh, run foreign policy, and he lets another woke crowd run nat- uh, run energy policy. Yep. Yep. And so to a certain degree, it's so, so who is in charge on this issue, and what do they think, and will Biden ever draw the line? We're, you know, Now it looks like he's making some uh, moves that show he's he feels like he's got to do something to get reelected. And so uh, I think McCarthy put him in a, in a bad position for him, uh, for, for Biden on the debt issue, uh, because Biden predicted uh, McCarthy couldn't hold his crowd together or pass a debt limit. And McCarthy, uh, I think, pitched team spirit. And to the credit of the, I guess, the extremes in the Republican Party to the left and the right, they all said, you know what, we've got to suck it up and be a team. This is a team sport. And so he got uh, a debt ceiling passed with uh, the kinds of uh, provisions that we Republicans want. Maybe not everything, but more than they will ever give us. And now he's uh, held them together again. And so Biden has had to move, I think, significantly in our way, more so than I would have predicted. Yeah, more so than I predicted, too. And it's not enough for about what I'm counting. I think the latest report is about 40 Republicans in the caucus. It's funny how the media focuses on Republican dissent from the deal and not Democrat dissent. This is theoretically a deal. The White House cobbled together with Republican leader uh, Speaker McCarthy, but no one's no one seems to be wanting to do a uh, a head count uh, or 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 a uh, a whip count of the of the Democrats. They're just trying. It'll be interesting to see at the end of the day what percentage of what party votes more for this. Let me take a quick break and talk to you about reaching that debt. A debt ceiling or broaching it isn't uh, breaching it isn't the same as a government shutdown exactly, but that's a little bit analogous. And I was wondering if maybe when we come back, you could walk us through a little bit of memory lane of what happened when Clinton and Gingrich <laughs> sparred over that kind of thing. Would that be okay? Take you back yep, about uh, what twenty five years or so. John Shattig is my guest. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Send in the clowns. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's some of that in Washington, too. John Shattig is my guest, uh, former congressman representing uh, the old Arizona 4th Congressional District from where we broadcast from and uh, was part of the Gingrich uh, Revolution of 1994. And as I was saying, John, breaching the uh, breaching the debt limit ceiling isn't the same exactly as a government shutdown, but I think it's it's closely analogous. And a few times in the last uh, 30 or so years, Republicans and Democrats have been at daggers drawn on these sorts of things. You were probably part and parcel of a great insight to this in uh, the 95-96 shutdown. And 
I have a lot of questions about how those things work out. First of all, um, I would love to hear about, you know, you were head of the Republican Study Committee, which was the conservative wing of the Republican Party in Congress in those days. I would love to hear, you know, how you deal with the Republican infighting, those saying we got to get this done, those saying we got to hold out for more, but also how it kind of works out in the end when we break either a debt ceiling or engage in a government shutdown. We don't tend to do well as a party usually, but you 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 correct me or take us take walk us through it. Well, no, I think you're absolutely right. When we have um or when I was there and we forced shutdowns, which we, I think, came close enough to or actually did a couple of times, um, the consequences are, are severe for the Republican Party. And the, the I think, uh, I believed then and I still believe, that it was the result of the media. The media was uh, not on our side. Yeah. And so when you try to get a story out, um, it's uh, if the media is stacked against you, that's very hard. And the there are a number of differences between what we faced back then and what uh, the current Republican majority in the House faces now. Okay. Um, everybody, we thought then that the media was biased against us. I had a particular reporter uh, that covered me. She was from Maryland. She had lived in Maryland all her life, and it won't come as a shock to your audience that Maryland is significantly more liberal than Arizona, yeah. and she viewed the world from that perspective. Like the Connie Morella or that, someone like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. The good thing was that in her case, she would be, I, I developed enough of a friendship with her and a relationship with her by telling her the truth uh, and, and, and giving her uh, inside uh, explanations and details and providing answers that I got pretty fair coverage, mm-hmm. but we thought it was bad. The point I'm, I want to make, and the reason I, I point that out is, it is exponentially worse now. Mm-hmm. In, in my day, uh, in the Republican Revolution, the media was close to balanced. We'll say the coverage was uh, 70-30 to the left, uh, or maybe 60-40 to the left. Okay. Today, it is... 80 plus it might be 90 yeah plus, probably 90 leaning uh, left yeah and you just can't get a story out yeah for example the other night uh when when the uh debt ceiling story first broke i listened to uh mccarthy explain the deal and uh i thought that sounds pretty good to me yeah. uh, at that point i didn't have the details but then lindsey graham came on an hour later and at least from my Uh, area of concern, which was uh, defense, although I worked on a lot of other issues more so than defense, but I think that's the number one uh, concern we ought to have as a nation is Russia, but particularly China. They they are a real threat, Mm -hmm. and they have a goal of world domination, and you you and I have never lived through a world war, and nobody's lived through a nuclear war, and I just assume we stay that way, but uh, I don't think Xi Jinping... Sees it that way, so uh, the media tilting is just so dramatic right now that uh, I think it's hard to get the message through. And uh, on issues of foreign policy or national defense, uh, particularly uh, foreign policy, uh, the media leans against us, uh, and and they'll only tell one side of the story. Mm-hmm. So it you know defending that looks bad, and then when you go to spending. And, and you do something that's viewed as extreme, like uh, we've been hearing for weeks, 
this has never happened before. We've never failed to meet a debt ceiling. A debt ceiling. We've never defaulted on our debt. Mm-hmm. All of that, of course, is true, and it's not going to happen again. It becomes, to a certain degree, exactly how much can uh, uh, the spenders, and sometimes Republicans are spenders, but not in this fight, mm-hmm. sometimes the spenders uh, can get people genuinely scared, in which case it plays out very badly uh, for the party saying spend less. Mm-hmm. And when we were able to, uh, when, when uh, we were at times able or uh, successful to press the issue into an actual shutdown, then you had people worried that they wouldn't get their Social Security checks or some other mm-hmm. uh, payment that they depend upon. And, and once you have society, society pretty dependent upon the government, which yeah. is what the left wants, uh, then that's a scary prospect. You mean my Social Security check might not come in? And it's hard to get them to focus on uh, the threat of a nuclear war. Yeah, right, the right. They need milk. Of a right. Thing. Yeah. right, when they need milk. When right. they, you know. yeah. uh, so uh, it, was, it was, in fact, very ugly. Um, I, to, maybe I'm just sanguine because I lived through it and saw that, uh, in fact, the hype of a shutdown or the hype of... Uh, not raising the debt ceiling, uh, never had, has never actually realized, or to the extent that it has with regard to a shutdown, the consequences have never been as dire, as dire, pardon me, as dire as people had feared. That's totally true. People don't, most people who don't work in Washington or don't work for the federal government don't realize that the government shut down. But yet, we do take hits in the polls. Almost every single time that I can think of, with maybe one exception under George H. W. Bush, which is a long time ago, but since then it seems like it's always a big poll uh, deficit for the Republicans on this. It just seems that yeah, way to me. My, my read of the, the last several. Are bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. They, you know, they, they, the left helps the Democrats blame the Republicans in these circumstances, and all. But also at the end, the hype. It's kind of like uh, you know they, they talk to us about a huge storm coming in, and then you know it rains for fifteen minutes. Yeah, the hype yeah. always exceeds the reality. Yep. It's, you know, it's like, well, I've every time on every forward. crisis, on every emergency. Yep. Exactly yep. right. You yep. can t- Exactly. Uh, and, and I hope we understand that when it comes to what they're trying to do on environmental stuff. Let me go to break real quick and come back with you, because I would love your advice to those who are in our movement or party that want to hold out for a more maximalist deal that is sure. seeking of more cuts. What I was saying to the audience yesterday and, you know, I. I this isn't my area of expertise. I could be wrong as well, and I'd love your thoughts. But we'll pick them up on the other side of the break. But what I was saying to the audience yesterday is, you know, a week ago we had zero and a White House that was saying there was to be no negotiation. We have the thinnest of majorities in the House, which is half of the legislature. And I just, you know, I we, we could go with where the 40 Republicans want, I suppose, but I don't think a single Democrat will vote for it, and I don't think thus the White House or the Senate would even consider it if they don't have any Democrats supporting it in the House. But I'd love your thoughts on that when we come back. John Shattuck and I will be right back. Congressman John Shattig, head of Shattig Associates, is my guest, usually in studio today on phone. So, John, just for our um, f- f- for thinking through the conservative holdouts on this debt deal that 
that seem to be about 40 in number now, uh, roughly 40, who think this didn't go far enough in McCarthy's negotiations. If if they get if, – if, if we were to go with where the 40 want us to go, I – I, 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 we probably could get every Republican, probably, but I don't think the Senate picks it up and I don't think the White House takes it. Um, but you tell me, and is that a cop-out? I don't know. I, it's just my theory that we won't get – it just won't have a – it just won't have a, a chance in a snowball's chance in, in Hades be, be, because a week ago there was we get nothing. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I don't want to think you're absolutely right, yeah, yeah, but I think yeah, you are right. Yeah. Um, the The reality is this is the toughest question in uh, at least partisan politics in Washington today. Um, you know, it kind of uh, – it, to me, in some ways, the players change and the specific issues change, but the ultimate debate doesn't change. Right. And the ultimate debate, in my mind, is uh, are we one nation united under God, or are we uh, a house divided which cannot stand? Right. And what I mean by that is... Um, and, I, and I've done this before, to the extent that we as a nation focus on those things which divide us, specifically identity politics, uh, the, then we see things, and we're encouraged every day to get up out of bed and see things differently, and not to say, wow, this is an amazing experience in uh, the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. This is a nation where we set down a series of principles which we came to agreement upon, which are very laudable, and we're going to go try to implement those. Mm -hmm. But we're going to be realistic about whether we can get there. So uh, you look at the borders of the United States. uh, There's a group on the border in San Diego today. Seventy people from all over the country are there uh, on a trip that my son helped put together uh, for Americans for Prosperity, and they're watching the uh, hundreds daily, if not thousands, who are crossing not out of this country, they're crossing into this country. And they say, wow, you know, they they must ultimately understand, yep, America isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. There still is racism. There is still some white supremacy in pockets. But uh, it is still the land of the free. It is still the place where there's vastly more uh, freedom and more opportunities for people of all colors. So I want to go there. And, and now they're, they're saying I should be able to stay there because in my country it's so bad that uh, uh, I, need, uh, I need safety. If I stay in my country, I'm not even safe. I won't stay alive. So I want uh, amnesty, or I want the ability to stay in America because I'm threatened where I live. You know, if we stop and look at that, then you then you say, look, we should all be united, and we should all be as concerned about the people who want to rule the word the world on the basis of force. Xi Jinping and uh, Mr. Putin, their idea is the winner is whoever has. Uh, the most guns or the biggest guns or is, mm-hmm. as, is more willing to kill as many people as possible, or 
on a nation where they want to rule based on equal protection of the law and uh, opportunity for everyone. And the truth is, we're not perfect. We're not there. But boy, are we far ahead of, of all of those other countries. So, you know, in a is did Kevin McCarthy get as much as I would like? No. But the 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 challenge is to say, did he get enough? And one of the leaders that I admired was Phil Graham. Mm-hmm. And uh, Phil, uh, I, I hadn't really, to be candid, I thought a lot about electoral politics because uh, my dad ran campaigns yeah. for Goldwater and Williams and Fannin and Rudd and you name it, mm-hmm. and Paul Laxalt and uh, Margaret G. Smith and all of those people. So I thought about electoral pol- politics more than I'd thought about governing politics. But the truth is, and Phil Graham used to articulate this pretty clearly, you get the best deal that you believe you can get at that moment, and and ultimately you say, you know, I think we just hit it, and yeah. and then you survive to fit to fight another day. Yeah, on. yeah, I yeah. think I think that I that's kind of where I am. Uh, I was quoting an old uh, an old song from uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive yesterday, saying, "I'll take what I can get." And if the relationship works out, we'll then be able to say you ain't seen nothing yet. Let me take a quick break, yeah. John, and we'll be right back. John Shattig is my guest, and he and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Congressman John Shattig, my guest. John, let me depart from the, the, the debt debate for just a moment with you because you said something that I'd like to focus on for a moment Immigrants, particularly even mostly illegal immigrants flooding into the country right now, taking place at the same time if you turned in – if you were a Martian that landed uh, from outer space in the United States and got you know all your news from the major networks or half of cable TV or probably 70 percent of cable TV uh, and most uh, – 90 percent of the newspapers, you would think this is a country that is drenched, soaked uh, in racism – and you you get this daily um, from the corporate class now talking about white privilege, and you get it from you know the talkers on TV talking about the white need to apologize and that sort of thing. I got to tell you, John, I bet that those thoughts are the furthest thing on the minds of the illegal immigrants flooding in. I don't think they think for a second that they're going into a racist country. And I don't think when they get here, given where they're fleeing from, they think that this is a country soaked, drenched, or governed by institutional or elected racism. I I don't think they see it at all. And you, you certainly have from a lot more of the legal immigrant groups that you might consider minority communities, the Nigerians, the Barbadians, the Ghanaians, the Trinidadians. They're all out educating uh, median uh, at the median level they're out educating whites they're out, earn, out earning Caucasian Americans and I think that even with the illegals from once they're coming they don't see this country as having a race problem I think given especially from when, where they came I think they're I, I, I agree with you uh, I think that uh, they are puzzled at why some Americans do believe that they go well. If those must, conversations they, they even reach a, them, right? I mean, they're not. They don't. Right. They, right. Oh no, they don't. They're, they're not going to be free. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 They're, yeah. they're thrilled to be going to America yeah. just as much as yeah. they were thrilled uh, as as immigrants were thrilled 
you know, 50, 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They are absolutely thrilled to be coming to the, what they believe is the greatest nation on earth. And and they, they never even think about that. That's a debate that doesn't exist in their mind. Right. And that's a debate of almost no first-generation Americans. First-generation Americans. It's not the fr- first-generation. Great point. They're all saying, yes. you know, they're all saying, oh, my God, this is the promised land. I, I think I've. I think I've told you the story. Um, uh, I would, after I left Congress and was working in Washington for a while, I'd ask every cabbie that I could who came from yes. somewhere else. I'd, yeah. I'd start chatting with them and how long you've been here and uh, do you have children here and all of that. And they would just rave about America. Mm-hmm. And they would describe to me that what they love about America, this is funny, what they love about America is uh, uh, the rule of law. And I'd I thought to myself, how do these people even understand rule of law? Right. And they would explain to me, well, in their country, it was either chaos and there simply was no law. And that was the minority. But it, most of them would explain that in their country there was law, but it only applied to the poor people. Mm-hmm. It didn't apply to the rich people. One right. guy told me, uh, and I, this is my favorite story, he said, uh, I said, well, explain that to me. And he said, yeah, well, it was pretty easy. In my country, to get it. I, I came here to America, I got a driver's license in a day. Mm-hmm. And I went in and, and got it, and I was just absolutely stunned. He mm-hmm. said, in my country, it took me a year to get a driver's license. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, that didn't bother me. That's kind of the, That was a standard. He said, I learned I had to bribe three people to mm-hmm. get my driver's license. Mm-hmm. And he said, what made me mad is that it took me a year to figure out which three people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> right, right. And he said, he, he said, that's because he was a poor guy, and you had to go bribe some rich guy, yeah. and you had to know which which rich guy is to bribe to right. get a driver's license. Right. And he was absolutely stunned that he could walk into an American driver's license facility in either Washington, D.C., or I think it was in Virginia, yeah. and be out of there in two hours or less with a driver's license. Yeah. You know, he said, this would not have ever happened in my home country. Yeah. So I think your point about... Um, them, you know, the thousands we see on Fox News crossing every day, they're not thinking they're going to a racist hell hell. They think they're going to nirvana. Yeah. And when they get here, it's whatever the conditions they have to they have to uh, abide by. I think it's still nirvana compared to what they left. And Absolutely. and and it and precisely right. Those things the ladies on the view are talking about or the kinds of stuff the uh, human resources officers are talking about at Target. They never think about that. They, it just never no. crosses their mind. This is a this is a debate and an argument that takes place amongst mostly white leftist elites. Mostly, mostly. Yep. And and it's it's in a way it's 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 a retrograde. It's it's a it's a what retrograde way of thinking. Probably in more than a way. Maybe in the most decisive respect, because it's taking us backward, not forward along lines that do re-racialize this country and do get us to the point that will no longer welcome immigrants from all countries. It was it was the notion of colorblindness that allowed for our robust legal immigration system in the first place. Anyway, it's just a thought that I I think the I think the left is is set about committing national suicide for this country. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. I may not have said it well, but that's what I believe and I believe, you know, it's 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 taking it's it's you see it you see it all the time now in 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 these major corporations you're seeing it in the professional athletic associations and it's 
it's just it's just a harm I lament. And I was having callers yesterday saying maybe the backlash will put the nail in the coffin on this thing. I don't think so, man. I don't know. The co- they, it seems more companies are joining this call by the day, not less. But 20 seconds, 30 seconds if you want to wrap us up. Yeah, I do worry about more companies joining this. But I'm pretty uh, – I, you know, I, I think I remain optimistic because it, it is near impossible to explain how we continue to fight for freedom and how the people – uh, even led by wrong thinking and even dominated by a very liberal press, they still deep down understand freedom and they want it and they are willing to fight for it. And they, uh, I think recently a lot of, uh, I mean, Biden says uh, MAGA with such derision. Yeah. But, at, and, and I don't think, you know, I think they have uh, some misunderstandings about how quickly you can change society but they want freedom yeah. and when they see their threat their freedom threatened they are willing to fight maybe not fight as uh with as much savvy or intelligence or or uh, uh kind of deep thought as they should but they don't want to give up their freedom bless you john shattuck thanks for being with us brother we'll see you in studio next week okay sounds god, good god bless and godspeed Thinking about the economy and, yeah, what could result depending on how this debt ceiling debate resolves itself. Possible recession looming closer, bank failures greater, stock market volatility more intense. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? Why Refi has that? It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off compound it, whatever you choose, no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time and not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. There are no fees in the secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate and they are based here locally. You can visit them. They encourage visitors to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. You won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. And when you meet with them at y, the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call them at 888-YREFI-34. 888-YREFI-34. Uh, it was Steve from Tempe who called in yesterday on this uh, response uh, to uh, these corporations and athletic associations uh, going so crazily uh, uh woke in the DEI and transgender fights. And the concern I've been raising is, yes, it's good to see the natural antibodies of the American people kicking in and resisting and responding to that. But at the same time, it is an ongoing curiosity as to why companies by the day seem to be joining the effort, um, the, 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 the DEI woke effort. Chick-fil-A is now you know, part of that and took some lumps today for the uh, promotion and statements of its new um, vice president of diversity, equity and inclusion. 
And, you know, Chick-fil-A was supposed to be kind of one of ours. We saw it go nuts in the 2020, uh, in, the, in, in the months of rage during 2020, when the CEO uh, had, uh, had made a public proclamation and display of having his shoes polished by, a, uh, by polishing the shoes of a racial minority in, in uh, an attempt to engage in reverse or racism or reverse something that looked totally foolish. But it did remind me of when you see the way Chick-fil-A is going, the John O'Sullivan rule. John O'Sullivan was the longtime uh, publisher and editor. No, sorry, longtime editor of National Review after William Buckley. Any institution that is not outwardly and loudly conservative will become liberal over time. Uh, we should have had the wake up call with Chick-fil-A in 2020. We're getting it today. I hope they get the wake up call. All right, folks, thanks for joining us, David. Thank you, as always. Bill, thank you, as always. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.